The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Happy Father's Day to the fathers in this room, to my own father who's here. My name is Marshall Posey. I'm the church planting resident for the North Campus, and it is my joy to be with you. As Pastor Stephen said, we're aiming to launch a church in the Northwest Metro in the area of Maple Grove. And so I thank you for your prayers. And if you'd like to talk to me about that or hear more about it, I'll be available after the service, as well as on July 25th, after the second service in room A200, we're going to have an information meeting for any that would like to hear more about that. Let's pray. Father, you are holy. You are set apart. What this world needs most today, on Father's Day, and every day, is Jesus. So I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word, that we have joy when we hear the gospel message, and then I pray that we would respond in obedient faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A friend of mine works and lives in another part of the world, and he owns a woodworking shop. And so in the woodworking shop, they take the raw material wood and they carve it, and they make things, and then they sell them in the marketplace. And in this culture, if you have influence or a position of power or prestige, you don't do the dirty work, like sweeping the shop floor. But the lowest of all the tasks in their shop It's cleaning the bathroom. And that's definitely not something that someone who owns the woodworking shop would do. And so my friend, wanting to be a witness to Jesus and the gospel message, decided that he would enter into their mess and clean the bathroom. So every day as the owner of the shop, he would come in and he would clean the sink and the toilet and empty the trash and mop the floor. And he did this for well over a year. Then he came into work one day. And a young man that he'd been apprenticing and working and managing in the workshop, the foreman, was cleaning the bathroom. He said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm doing what you do. You enter into the mess of the workshop because I guess this is what leaders do with an aim to clean it. When I heard that story, I thought, isn't that what the gospel message is like? God being perfect enters into our mess, that which we can't clean, and he didn't need to clean, and he came in and did it. So yes, there's a mess. And guess what happens after you clean the bathroom? Someone comes in and uses it, and there'll be another mess. But Jesus says, come to me, because I have overcome the world. I've come to clean up the mess of sin and self-promotion. Some people have eyes to see this. They look around and they see the works of God. They see the rain. They see the mountains. They see the sky. They see the ocean and they see it. 
And then they look for the works of God, and they respond in faith. But God has also sent witnesses, those that proclaim the message, that there is a God who created all of these things, and he's come, and his mission is to clean up the mess of sin. So this week, as we look at Acts 14, it's a continuation of the missionary journey that started last week in Acts 13. And so my prayer is that God would, through this text, open our eyes to see the gospel message, that it goes forth and it enters into people's lives as Jesus sends out messengers to proclaim the gospel to a watching world. And my hope is that people who hear this message men, women, children would respond and see, yes, this world is a mess, but there is one who came and bore witness that he has overcome the mess of this world and is redeeming a people to himself into his kingdom. So chapter 14 breaks down into three sections. They look like individual stories that are all pulled together. And in it, in each of these scenes, we see Paul and Barnabas enter into a city. We see them bear witness to the work of God. We see God then bear witness to the work that he's doing. And we see disciples being made and matured. So scene one, Paul and Barnabas enter into the city of Iconium. And that's in verses one to seven. Scene two, Verses 18 through the first half of 21, Paul and Barnabas enter into Lystra and Derbe. And then scene three, Paul and Barnabas enter in and bear witness to fellow disciples as they make their way home. And at each one of these steps, God bears witness by providing signs, miracles, belief, faith, and a church. Sometimes in a story like Acts 14, we easily get caught up in the story. And we miss how the original hearers would have heard it. So I want you to listen as if you're in Theophilus's household. Because I think if you do that, you might pick up on a few things. And you might not naturally run and draw a line to your life like you would want to. So here we go. Scene one. Paul and Barnabas enter and witness in Iconium. And now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up a great But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities in Lyconia and of the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So here we have Paul and Barnabas. 
they enter into a synagogue. And who's at the synagogue? But people that believe they're near to God. And so they enter in and they proclaim the gospel. We don't know all that they said, but they preach the gospel in such a way that people have ears to hear. And they respond. And what's interesting that the original hearers would have picked up on is that there's two groups. So we have Jews who believe and Gentiles who believe. And we have Jews who don't believe and we have Gentiles that don't believe. And here in Acts 14, we start to see something. That yes, there's still two groups, but the groups are no longer based on ethnicity. They're based on those who believe and those who do not believe. What would have come to the original hearers' minds is what they've seen taking place in what they're hearing read to them. The gospel goes forth. It's proclaimed. People hear it. There's a response. There's belief. But not all believe. And not only do people not believe, but there's opposition to it. They don't like it. They want it silenced. And so what is the response of Paul and Barnabas? It says, they stayed for a long period of time. Look at verse 3. They spoke boldly the word, boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So the opposition comes. Yes, there are those with faith, but there are also those that don't have faith. And there's opposition that comes, and they stay. And as they bear witness to the gospel, as they continue to live and proclaim the gospel, what happens? God comes in, and he bears witness to their work. What they're proclaiming is true, it comes alive, and more and more people grow in faith. And so many signs and wonders are done. We don't know what they all are, but we're going to get a glimpse of one in the next scene. But mistreatments, threats of stoning, start to enter in, and they hear. So they flee to the cities of Lystra, Derby, and what do they do? They continue to do what they've been doing. They preach the gospel. So now here in scene two, Paul and Barnabas enter and are witnessing in Lystra and Derby. And I think here we get a, a detailed glimpse of some of the signs and miracles that were happening. So in verse eight, we're introduced to a man who's been crippled since birth. He's never walked. He's never stood His legs can't support him. And as Paul is preaching the gospel message, he looks at him and he sees that he has faith. And he says to him, Stand up! Rise! On your feet! And this man springs up and he starts to walk. You talk about signs, you talk about wonders. I've never witnessed anything like this. Arise, stand up. And a man whose legs had never borne his own weight, in an instant, these legs that most likely had little to no muscle structure, 
nerves that had never fired. I don't know all the biological things that happened, but in an instant upon faith, fully formed, fully functioning, and walking before people. That's a miracle. And so that happens. Luke's a doctor. The original hearers would have said, this does not happen. People who have never walked their whole life don't walk. And so look at the response. In verse 11 through 14, the crowds see what Paul does. And they respond. But they respond with human eyes and human feet. They look and they say with their own language, the gods must have come down from heaven and be walking amongst us. And so they move to worship Paul and Barnabas. They think they're the gods that they've known all along, Zeus and Hermes. And Paul and Barnabas hear what's happening. They pick up on what's going on. And they tear their garments and they rush into the crowd. The first response is to humble themselves. They proclaim the gospel. There's faith by this man who can't walk up. He rises up. And many of the people think that it's their God. Their man-made God, Zeus and Hermes, that have come down. And they humble themselves. They tear their clothes. They rush into them. Stop. No. Let me tell you the truth. Contrast that, the actions of Paul and Barnabas, to Acts 12. In Acts 12, Herod doesn't like what's going on. He's angry with the people. Do you remember what he did? He put on his royal garments. He sat on his throne. He gave an eloquent speech. And people thought he was God. And the living God sent an angel who came down and struck him dead. Paul and Barnabas don't want people to worship a false god. They know they are not God. So they tear their clothes in great humility. They run into the crowd, into the mess where the people are at, and they cry out with a loud voice. And here's what they say in verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the seas and all that is in them, yet he did not leave you without witnesses. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven in fruitful seasons, satisfying the heart, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. What would the original hearers have picked up on here? If you were here last week in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas gave a defense. That he gave a defense of the gospel message that they proclaimed. And they talked about some great saints from the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, and David. But here in Lystra, Derby, back country, they don't know Abraham. They don't know Moses. They don't know of David. And so what they do is they give a defense that can be heard. They appeal to the common grace of God. They see 
You've had rain that have produced crops. You've lived life. You've had joy. God has satisfied your hearts. You've had moments of gladness. They appeal to what the hearers can understand. And with this defense, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. They re- and then we see re-entering into the scene some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium who had wanted to stone them. Antioch and Pisidia is 108 miles away. And then what do they do? They persuade the crowd that these men are not gods, but they should be killed. So what happens? They stone Paul. They drag him out of the city. They leave him for dead. This will squash the message. There'll be no more witnesses if we do this. Look what happens in verse 20. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. He entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, what would Theophilus's household have thought? They heard this. Acts 1.8. This would have been ringing in their ears. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. They're seeing it. It's happening. The ends of the earth. Iconium, Lystra, Derby. This is backwater country. Could you imagine them hearing this for the first time? It's happening. The witnesses are reaching the ends of the earth. Scene three Paul and Barnabas enter and witness to the disciples as they make their way home. Second half of verse 21. They return to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed and they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken, there, spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. In verse 21, it says they went to Derby and they preached the gospel and they made disciples. 
That word for making disciples is investing in someone, teaching them to follow the teaching of someone else. They were teaching them how to walk and obey Jesus. And this is what they continue to do on their journey home. They enter the cities, city where they were stoned, cities where there was persecution. And what do we see? We see the same thing in all three. There's disciples there. Their witness when they had come in and originally proclaimed the gospel and had been staying there making disciples, those disciples were still there. All of these towns now have witnesses. And they do two things. First, they strengthen the souls of the disciples. They encourage them to continue in the faith. Why? Because it's hard. There's persecution. There's people that want to harm the message and the messenger. And they say, continue in the faith. They encourage them. They walk with them. And second, they appoint leaders in every church. They fast. They pray commissioning these leaders and appointing them over the church. This is exactly what had happened to them in Antioch when they had been sent out, and this is exactly what they do in the churches that they leave behind. They commit them to the Lord through prayer and fasting and commission them on their witnessing journey. And eventually, they sail back to Antioch where it all started. They gather the church that had sent them out And they proclaim all that God had done and how they were a part of it. And in verse 27, there's this phrase, and it says, And God had appointed a door of faith to the Gentiles. This is a quote from the book of Hosea. Hosea 2, verses 14 through 15. In Hosea 2, God is speaking to Israel through the prophet Hosea, showing that despite Israel's unfaithfulness, he would be faithful. God would act. Listen to Hosea 2, 14 to 15. The her in this verse is Israel. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her, and there I will give her her vineyards And make the valley of Achor, which means trouble, a door of hope. This passage that was hope for Israel is what just happened in the cities of Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. God had granted a door of faith based on the witnessing of those that were sent out as God bore witness. What we start to see is that this is part of a larger story. We've seen this all the way through Acts, and actually we see it in all of the scriptures. God sends messengers to proclaim, to bear witness to who he is to a world that's a mess. And so Jesus, the one that Paul pointed to, to those in Lystra, the creator of the heaven and earth and the seas and all that is in them. Listen to what Jesus said while he came to the earth as he stood before Pilate. 
This is from John 18, 37. For this purpose I have come. into the world to bear witness to the truth. He came to the Jewish people. He came as a witness. He was born. What did he do? He proclaimed that the kingdom of God is here. He called people to repentance and trust. The crowds, some believed and some didn't believe. And he continued to bear witness. And there's a lame man that comes to him. He tells him, rise up. And he does. And he walks. He walks back home to his house. And some of the people don't like that. Some of the leaders don't like that. So he goes to other cities. Dead people. Lazarus, rise up. People hear his voice and they rise up. And there's opposition that continues to come. People are granted life, faith, hope. We see this witness ride in on a donkey as the crowds chanted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And within days, An angry mob wanted to kill him. They wanted to silence the witness. They thought if we kill the witness, this message will stop. And so on Calvary, the witness died. But not because of what everyone else thought. He didn't die because they killed him. He died because he gave up his life to come to clean up the mess. And he didn't stay dead. He rose up and he went back into the city and he continued to proclaim the gospel. He encouraged the disciples and he sent them out to plant churches. We're witnessing the continued work of Jesus when we look at Acts 14 Jesus is the witness, and he sends out fellow witnesses to proclaim his gospel. That yes, you're a mess, I'm a mess, and the only hope we have is new life, and that new life comes by faith in Jesus. I imagine in a group of this size that there are three groups of people. The first group is like the group in Iconium. They were in the synagogue. They knew the things of God. Perhaps some of them knew all the answers when they were asked questions. But when Paul and Barnabas go in there, there's no belief in Jesus. Perhaps this is you. You've been around the things of God but you've never trusted in the promise of God. And to you, the gospel message says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe that he came to clean up the mess of your sin and to give you what you need most, which is him. 
your behavior and outward appearance, those are a facade. God looks at the heart. The second group is like those in Lystra. Perhaps you're spiritually lame. You've never walked a day in your life. Oh, you've tried. You've tried the gods of this world, money, power, prestige, sex, food. You've tried, but your legs don't support you. You've sought pleasure in self-pity. You've sought pleasure in self-proclamation. You've put on your fine clothes. You've sat on your throne. You've given a speech about how everyone else has it wrong. But you're right. To you, the gospel enters in and says, in faith, turn from these vain things. Your self-condemnation isn't going to save you. Your self-proclamation isn't going to save you. You need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Turn to him and trust in him. Witness the miracle of new life. Rise up in faith and follow Jesus. And the third group are those that are already disciples. These are those that Paul and Barnabas visited and encouraged and built up on their way back. You know the Lord, but your soul is weary. Your faith is being stretched. Why does it have to be so hard? Why is it through many trials that we have to enter the kingdom of God? Marshall, each day, I try to be like your friend. I try to clean the mess. but it just keeps coming back. Don't put on your royal robe. Don't sit on your throne. Humble yourself before a living God. What if in his kindness he gave you success? to show you that you needed a Savior? What if in his kindness he caused hard things to come to show you that you needed a Savior? What if all of those things were witnesses pointing to the greater witness? The gospel enters in and says, continue in the faith. The same faith in Jesus that saved you is the faith that keeps you trust in him and it is through those tribulations that we enter into the kingdom of God. Thank God for feeding you, for convicting you, and giving you a Savior that every time you cry out to him, says, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Walk in me in newness of life. So church, where do we struggle? I don't think we struggle believing that this happened in Iconium, Lystra, Derby, surrounding areas. 
I think where we struggle is that we don't think this happens today. We don't have belief today that God is sending out witnesses and those witnesses go out and proclaim the gospel and people are saved. He grants belief and faith. In your unbelief, look to Jesus. He is the great witness. And just as in Lystra, Derby, Iconium, there were witnesses. So today, the same gospel goes forth. And God is calling up witnesses in Moundsview, in Minneapolis, in Maple Grove to be about this great commission task of proclaiming the gospel and living the gospel. We can't clean ourselves, but he entered into the world to clean us. Rest in that. My prayer is that God would take men, women, and children from this church and raise them up. Belief that he is still accomplishing these things and exactly what happened in Lystra, Iconium, and Derby is what he wants to do today. And so we go out and we proclaim the gospel that we're a mess. But Jesus forgives And in Jesus, there's new life. People would hope and trust in him. Is God calling you to be his witness? Perhaps today, for the first time, you responded in faith. Be a witness to that. Share it with someone else. Perhaps you've known Christ for many years, but you've stopped bearing witness you hear his voice, respond today and bear witness. Our God is on the move. He's building people that he's sending out. And he's building churches that will be gospel proclamation hotspots in these twin cities. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking for a miracle. I pray that we would witness all that you did in Acts 14 and say the same God who sent out Paul and Barnabas and as they witness, he bore witness that you would do that same thing in Moundsview, in Minneapolis, in Maple Grove. I pray that you would give us faith, that you would stir the hearts of the people, that you would be at work. And I pray that we would look back in a year and say, look. Look at all that God has done. He's opened up a door of faith for people in the Twin Cities and the nations. We ask that you would do this so that Jesus' name would be worshipped and that we, as saints, see and savor the same gospel of Jesus that saved us is the same gospel that sustains us. I pray that you would do this by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.